through the desert and they come all the way north up to the, uh, the land that we now know as Israel. And they're on the brink of this land called the promised land. This is the land that they are been told, this is your land. This land is my land. This land. They sang that song. So they're on the brink of that land and they know it's full of all kinds of people. So they decide they're going to take 12 dudes. One dude representing each of the 12 tribes of Israel. They're going to gather them together. They're going to launch them out into the promised land. And for 40 days, they go into this land to check it out, to spy it out, to evaluate, to, to run some reconnaissance. And here's what they have to say when they return. Look at verse number 26 of Numbers chapter 13. We'll pick it up there. The Bible says, Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron. And all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Now, this fruit was crazy cool. They talked about grapes being the size of Trey's face. You know, this big grapes. Talking about just lush land. The Bible was flowing. The Bible says this land was flowing with milk and honey. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds really good. So the Bible says... In verse 27, then the spies told them and said, we went into the land where you sent us. It really does flow with milk and honey, which makes you use like, like rivers of milk <laughs> and chocolate chip cookies. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think this is a metaphor, people. But the Bible says it truly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, everybody say nevertheless. Nevertheless is a fancy butt, isn't it? Isn't that like a sophisticated but? It's like, hey, it was really, really cool, but this is a fancy but. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land, they're really strong. The cities, they're really big and fortified. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Now, I don't know if we'll get to this in the text later, but Anak, if you ever hear the story of David and Goliath, and Goliath was a really, really big dude, and he was considered a giant, Goliath was considered the son of Anak. So if Anak and all his peoples are there, how many know you got supersized folks? You get the idea. So the Bible says in verse 29, the Amalekites, they dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Parasites, they dwell in the mountains and the Canaanites and other ite people. They dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb enters the hero. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Oh, this is going to get good. But, We've digressed. We went from nevertheless, trying to be fancy, now we're just normal but. But the men who had gone up with him, now remember there were 12 spies. Basically 10 of them, they come back with this. But the men who had gone up with Caleb said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are bigger and stronger than we. And they Listen to this. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone has, <clears throat> excuse me, the land through which we have gone has spies, as spies, excuse me, is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, that came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were. In their sight. How many know that's a bad deal right there? When you know 
and they know. You, you, you went up and you stood up against that bully and you knew he was going to whoop you. And he knew he was going to whoop you. That's a bad day right there. Real quickly, we're going to talk about Caleb and the inspirational hero that he was. I'm going to talk to you about three ideas real quickly here. Three things that set him apart. Number one is this, is that the hero stays positive when everyone else gets negative. The hero is willing to fight when everybody else wants to run away. And the hero keeps looking forward when everyone else is looking back. That's ultimately what sets the stage for Caleb to become the inspirational hero. And when we see how it unfolds, when we see the end of the story, it's going to all come together and make sense. But first and foremost, you got to know this, that the hero stays positive when everyone else gets negative. And you know people like this, don't you? You know people. It's like every time you get around them, complaining about something. Every time you're with them, they're negative about something. They've always got a gripe. They've always got a murmur. Don't bump your husband. Don't, you, you always got something going on, and, 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 and there are some people, we call them half glass full, half glass empty folks. And you know what Caleb is? Caleb shows us that you've got to learn to stay positive. As a matter of fact, there's an interesting story. Um, in, in 1944, the Germans assaulted an attack called the Battle of the Bulge. Many of us have probably heard that if we were asleep or not in, in history class. That probably wouldn't at least stuck with us. There's a unique tale inside of the Battle of the Bulge where um, basically there was this airborne troop. Uh, his name was, uh, was, I think it was Major Anthony McCullough. He drops in and he gets surrounded immediately by all the German forces. And the German officer is just like the grasshopper thing. He literally sends word to General McCullough and says, hey, look, you're completely surrounded. And it would be an honorable thing for you just to surrender now so that no one has to die. Basically, he knows and you know. Uh, what's interesting is, is that General McCullough sends word back to the, to, the, to the German officer, and he has just one word on a piece of paper, nuts. He was known as the only general in World War II that didn't cuss and swear, so he just wrote the word nuts on it, and the, other gen- the general officer didn't know how to interpret that, so he had to ask somebody what that meant. And so anyway, but, but in, in light of this, he was not going to surrender. And so he turns and he gathers all of his men, and this is what he says to his men. It's so brilliant. He goes, men, we're surrounded by the enemy. We have the greatest opportunity ever presented any army because we can attack in any direction. How many of you know that's glass half full? That's staying positive when everybody else gets negative. That is, guys, I want you to know the odds in our favor are so good, we can attack anywhere and kill somebody. That's how good our situation, we can go anywhere and fight somebody. Some people have the ability to stay positive even when everything else is getting negative. And here's why this is so important is because the way that your mind works, how many of you know your focus kind of ends up dictating your reality? Focus becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Focus is where you lean in life. And so, you know, your mind begins to dwell on things and think on things. And here, if you'll do this, if you'll begin to gauge, just take a little bit of inventory and ask yourself this question. What is my mind usually full of throughout the day? If I'm constantly having imaginary conversations where I'm telling somebody off or I'm mad or I'm angry or I'm complaining or I'm upset or I'm this, I just want you to know that that focus is dictating your reality, and that focus will probably more than likely become a self-fulfilling prophecy in your life. And the very thing that you are afraid of happening will actually happen because that's where your thoughts have taken you. Let's, I'll, I'll, watch this scripture, Philippians 4.8. The Bible says this. This is brilliant wisdom. 
Paul says, finally, brothers and sisters. Everybody say, that's me. A little more gusto. Everybody say, that's me. Yeah, Paul was talking to us. He was saying, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever is right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, okay, we, get the, we, get the, we got it. Sometimes you're like, okay, get to the point. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what should you do? You should think on those things. But if we go and take inventory and we really look, for some of us it's 50-50. For some of us it's always negative. It's always complaining. But Paul gives us some incredible wisdom and some incredible insight. Do some inventory of your brain, of your noggin, of what's going through your dome, and begin to take, what is it that I take my mind and dwell on most of the time? He's saying, I'm going to give you the secret to success and happiness here. Start thinking about things that are true and noble and excellent and admirable and praiseworthy and begin to focus your mind on those things. That will actually become the focus that will become a self-fulfilling prophecy in your life. Somebody say, okay. Again, when you think about believers, and if you're here today and you say, I follow Jesus and I'm a believer, shouldn't it be that those of us who are filled with the Spirit of God, shouldn't it be that we automatically have something to be happy about in life? Shouldn't it be that we, we, we ought to have an automatic positive reaction to the world around us? Because if nothing else, at least God is with us. His presence is with us. His strength is with us. His grace is over us. His forgiveness has gone before us. That God is absolutely with us. And if nothing more, when we face obstacles and we face life challenges, we don't have to face them alone. That alone is worth being a little bit positive about. Can I get an amen? Now here's the deal. Here's the problem. Some of us hear this kind of talk, and we hear this, and we're like, well, this kind of sounds like Jesus Tony Robbins. This sounds like just being positive thinking. This, I, I wanna, I'm going to give you a thought. Complaining is a spiritual issue. Let me say that again. Somebody need to take a note on that. Complaining is a spiritual issue. If you were to go to do a word study all throughout Scripture, you know what you'd find? There's a lot that the Bible has to say about complaining and murmuring. There's a lot to it. And here's, here's where I'll take you with this specific story. You've got hundreds of thousands of people sitting on the brink of the promised land. And as we'll discover in just a minute, they don't get in. Do you know why they don't get in? It's not because of sexual immorality. It's not because of idolatry. It's not because of these incredibly heinous and awful and wicked things. And God says, no, you're just not good enough to get into the. No, no, no. You know why they don't get in? Because they won't shut up complaining. This is why Paul even goes on to say is do everything without murmuring and complaining because complaining is a spiritual issue. And I'm going to tell you why God really dislikes complaining is because complaining, and please take this note, complaining is the language of victims. If you will, not you, we're talking about other people. Um, if you will listen to other people, because I know you don't do that, but if you will listen to other people and listen to the amount of negative comments or complaining that comes out of their mouth, you'll discover this. Because ultimately, people that complain live in self-bondage. Because they're always subject, subjected to whatever somebody else did to them. They're always the prisoner of what circumstances happened to them. They're always the victim of what somebody else did to them. And so they live in a, an emotional and mental prison based on murmuring and complaining. But you know what Jesus has to say about you? He said, well, who the Son sets free is free indeed. You're not a slave. You're not a slave to sin. You're not a slave to your circumstances. As a matter of fact, he says, I don't know if you've ever heard this or not, but you're actually more than a conqueror through Christ who loved you. I don't know if you've ever heard the scripture, but in, in Philippians 4, it says this. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
There's never this, I can't do things through Christ. There's not a victim mentality. That, but if you will catch yourself, if you ever hear words like, well, if they just, well, if he didn't, well, if they would just. You know what's funny is our world is consumed with complaining, isn't it? I mean, and, 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 you know why I know this? I actually did a little bit of research, and, and I found that there is an app. Now, I mean, you're on the iPhone, or you go to Android, you got some. There's an app. Somebody's laughing about there. You have this, don't you? It's called the iComplain. I'm not lying, and don't look it up right now because you'll be distracted during my sermon. I got a really good point coming, so don't do it right now. It's called the I Complain. There's another website online called Packin.org. This guy named James Packin decided, I will write a formal letter of complaint for you. You can literally go there, enter in some basic information. He goes, look, I'm a master complainer. I have formalized complaining. I will help you complain and sound really, really good at complaining, and that's, that's ultimately what you do. Or you can just go to mybiggestcomplaint.com. I'm not making this up. This is not a joke. Mybiggestcomplaint.com, and you can just say, who's complained about what product or what store or what restaurant or whatever it is? It's like, let's just get together and have a complainathon. I'm just trying to inform you that if you live in a world where you're constantly murmuring and complaining, you will be an emotional and mental prisoner for the rest of your life. There is no, I cannot do all things that, that come against me. I, I, I'm not an overcomer through Christ who saved. But they're, they're, those scriptures don't exist. Jesus said, who the Son sets free is free indeed. I want you to be free people. You know, there was a pastor who caught on to this whole idea of complaint. And his name, real quickly, is... is um, Will Bowen, he pastors a church in Kansas City, Missouri. He actually did a series on complaining. I've never heard it, but he, he went on to talk about complaining with his church, and he actually came up with this idea. Psychologists have shown us that it takes about 21 days for us to begin to reprogram our mind and thinking when it comes to certain habits. Everybody say, all right. So 21 days, he gives the people a challenge, and he actually gives out these purple bracelets and says, these are the don't complain bracelets. And we want to create a church without complaining. And so I want you to wear this wristband on your wrist for 21 days straight with no complaining. And here's the deal. As soon as you complain, I want you to take the bracelet off, switch it to the other arm, and start over again. And I want you to go and go and go and go and go until you get 21 days with no complaining. This thing actually took off. The guy got on Oprah with it. And to date now, they have over 10 million different purple bracelets sold. Just trying to get people to stop complaining. And here's why. Complaining is a spiritual issue. Think about it like this. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Solomon said, life and death is in the power of those words. When we put those things together, what we discover is this, is that whatever is in our heart bubbles out into our mouth, and whatever comes out of our mouth creates the future that we have for ourselves. So here's my question for you. What kind of future do you have? What kind of future do you want to have? Do you want to continue to be an emotional and mental prisoner of the moment, prisoner of the circumstances, and a prisoner of what they did to you and what they said to you and how it didn't go your way? Jesus says, I want you to be free. And for you to be the hero for somebody else, I'm telling you, you're just going to have to put on the purple bracelet and work at this thing and catch yourself to stop complaining. Somebody say amen. Number two is this. is We, we talked about that the hero stays positive even when everything else goes negative. Number two is this, is that they are willing to fight when everyone else runs away. Let's pick up and keep reading the story. The narrative gets good here. Uh, Numbers chapter 14, verse number one. Now again, we're like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we're even like grasshoppers in their eyes. This is bad. 
Caleb has a completely different outlook on the situation. But the Bible says, so all the congregation lifted up their voices and they cried. And the people wept that night. And all the children, everybody say all. That all means all. All the children of Israel did what? Complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt. That's some positive people right there, isn't it? We should have just died already. Just leave us alone. Why did you set us free? Um, or if only we had died in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Again, you can see it. And here's the reality. Let's just talk about this for a second. These people had been in slavery for 400 years. Do you know what that does to you? It creates a heritage of slavery. Because mama was a slave. And grandma was a slave. And her grandma was a slave. And we've just been slaves for so long, we don't know how to be anything else. That's just all we've ever known. Is baking bricks and eating onions and beans. That's what the Bible says they ate all the time. That's like the food of slavery. Onions and beans. Bad breath and gassy. <laughs> Careful of your diet. Don't become a dietary slave. Anyway. All I've ever known is baking bricks and eating onions and beans. What will that do to you psychologically, emotionally? Where is your faith level at? Where is your, and here's the reality of it. These people had seen miracles already, hadn't they? They saw God part the Red Sea. They saw, they saw frogs raining from the sky. I mean, that would convince somebody. They saw incredible and miraculous and wonderful things, but it wasn't enough because here's the reality is sometimes you can take people out of Egypt, but sometimes you can't get the Egypt out of people. Just a thought. So the Bible says, our wife and children would become victims because that's what we are. We're slave people. We're victims. It's not our fault. That's why we complain and murmur. Would it not be better for us just to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, you know what? Let's just get a new leader. Forget Moses and that whole freedom thing. And we will return to Egypt. The Bible says, then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, this is a good but, but Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the children of Israel, saying, the land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. He kind of goes a little Mike Tyson on them right there, doesn't he? Want to eat their children. Um, they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Don't fear them. I love this response. But all the congregation said, stone them with stones. That does not mean get high. Um, can you imagine this? Caleb and Joshua get up and they're like, no, stop the complaining. You're not a victim. God is with us. We are well able. We can do this. Don't rebel against God. He's got something great for your life. Boys, get the, get the bricks. Get the stones. They're going down. We're going to get a new leader and we're heading back to Egypt. Going back to baking bread or baking, baking bricks and eating beans and onions. Because that's what I'm comfortable with. You know, there's just something about it. You know, the, the, the hero not only stays positive when everyone else gets negative, but they're willing to fight when everyone else 
wants to run away. There's got to be, as a hero, a little bit of fight in you. There's got to be a little bit of a holy discontent. There's got to be a little bit of dissatisfaction in you. There's got to be a little something that says, when I look at the great injustice of the world, I get a little hacked off. I'm mad. There's got to be a little bit of a little bit of fight in you, a little bit of righteous indignation, and that's all right. You know, there are people, you know, when you look at our great nation, and just so you know, I'm a patriot, I love America, I would bleed on the flag to keep the stripes red. I, I love our country. And you look at the, how this country started, there were men who fought for what they believed in. There were. We're not perfect, and we don't always get it right, and we got our own dysfunction, but we are still the greatest country in all the world. I was with Shane Willard uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he travels the world and has been to the four flung corners of the world. He said, Todd, I have, I've been all over it. There is not one better place that you want to be. And guess what? Even though you hear all kinds of murmurings and complaints around the world about what people think of America, he said, don't get it twisted. Everybody wishes they lived in America. It is the greatest country in this world. You should be proud. And I know we're in, we're in kind of political season. It's time to go out and vote. You should go out and vote. Be a part of the system. Be a part of the process. Even though it's not perfect, do your best. Play your part. But this country, you should know this, was founded by great men that, that had a belief, that had a fight in them. And let, me, let me prove it to you. Listen, this is what the last line of the Declaration of Independence is. Listen to these words. It says, and for the support of this declaration, with firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. That's the last phrase of the Declaration of Independence. We pledge firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, and we pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. That was more than words to these men, and it's proven. Listen to this. You've got guys like Carter Braxton of Virginia, who literally had the British sink all of his ships, burn his house. He, had to be, he gave so much of his money to the cause of war that when he got through paying off all of his debts after the British burned everything, he died in absolute rags and poverty. John Hart, driven from his wife's bedside as she died, he and his children fed, fled from their lives. He died of exhaustion and a broken heart. Francis Lewis had his home and property destroyed. The enemy captured his wife, and she died in jail. Five of the signers were tortured and killed. Twelve of them had their homes ransacked and burned. Two signers lost their sons in battle. Two more had their sons die as prisoners of war. Nine of them fought in the war themselves, and they died from the wounds or the hardships they experienced. You have a country that people were willing to fight for something. And you have to ask yourself that question. What is it that I want to fight for in life? What is it that stirs me up? What is it that makes me a little bit angry? What is it that, that riles up the righteous indignation inside of me? Because until you have a, a, a cause worth fighting for, you're not really living. Until you have something that, that, that makes you pound the table and pound the fist of injustice, say, I really wish I could do something about this. I would dare to say that you're not really living. Psalms 41, David says this. It's an interesting line. He goes, my heart is stirred by a noble theme. My heart is stirred up for a cause, a vision, an idea, something that compels me, some righteous indignation. My heart is stirred towards this noble theme, this worthy cause. There's a man, his name's Bob Pierce, and this man is probably one of the men I think most reflects this idea. He just was willing to fight for something. If you've ever heard, there's a Christian organization called World Vision. World Vision, and the last number I got was from 2005. And in 2005, more than 100 million people were served through World Vision, were either given food, clothing, medical supplies, or relief of some kind. Over 100 million. 
When you go back and you listen to how this started, man, it started out with the most simple thing in the world. And you know, I guarantee you, Bob, he did not know he was being a hero when he was just being a hero. That wasn't his intent. That wasn't his goal. But I'll tell you how it started. He was in Korea during the Korean War. And he noticed that all the kids and all the refugees and all the people that had been harmed by the war, they literally had to come and stand in lines just to get food. And he saw little boys and girls who would be at the back of the line who by the time they got up, the food had all run out and they were starving to death. And he saw little Korean boys and girls who were starving and had no food. And he did. He couldn't do it for everybody, but he found that he could do it for one he found this little Korean girl named White Jade, and he literally gave her everything that he had. It's $5. He took her to a Christian orphanage and said, hey, here's $5, but I promise you this. When I get back home to America, I will send the money. You don't have, because they, they tried to turn her away and said, we don't have the money. We don't have the ability to care for her. He goes, when I get back home to America, I will send the money to take care of this little girl. And Bob Pierce, through that one act of heroism, five dollars come back home and he started what we know now is like a child pledge program you've seen through world vision or compassion international where you can pledge and give so much money per month to provide for an orphan somewhere in the third world country it all started with a man who said you know what there's something not right about this situation there's something unjust about this situation that little boys and girls should have to starve and die in the street Something's not right about that, and I can't do it for all of them, but I can do it for one of them. And through that little act, he started World Vision, which again now feeds, clothes, supplies, helps over 100 million people. That's an incredible deal. But that's the question you have to ask yourself. Is there something that I am compelled to do? Is there, something that, that, is there a cause that I'm willing to do something about and to fight for? Lastly is this, is that heroes look forward when everyone else looks back. Let me say that again. Heroes look forward when everyone else looks back. Let me read the scripture to you, and I'm going to try to close quickly. Joshua chapter 14, verse 10. Now again, we read everything from the book of Numbers. After this occasion, where they all complain, they want to overthrow Moses, you know what God does? God looks at him and says, you guys, I'm sorry, I love you, but you're not fit for the promised land. Promised land cannot be inherited by slave mentality people. It must be inherited by free people. So here's what's going to have to happen. You're going to go back into the wilderness. You're going to wander around for 40 years, and when all of you guys have died off, your kids will inherit the land. Because a victim mentality, a slave mentality, murmurs and complainers, people who blame, make excuses, and shirk responsibility, you can't inherit the land. You'll mess it up. You would jack your own lives up. Just here's what we're going to do. I love you, but it's not going to work. They literally went through the desert for 40 more years, and when all those parents, older folks, people of that slave generation, when they died off, Joshua and Caleb are the only two men from that generation who came full circle and led the children of Israel back into the promised land. Let's, lead, let's read these scriptures and we'll, we'll close quickly. The Bible says, Now then, just as the Lord had promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said to Moses, while Israel was wandering about in the wilderness. So here I am today. I'm 85 years old. Listen to these words. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out in battle as I was then. I'm here to claim the land. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. Because, you know, sometimes you get these old guys, and their body, their body says, or their mind says yes, but their body says no. You know what I'm talking about? You wonder, was he like, I'm just as strong today. I'm going to whoop those boys over there. I don't know. I don't know. But I love what's in his heart. 
I love what's in his mind. I love what's in his attitude. This is what made Caleb of a different spirit. This is what makes Caleb the inspirational hero. We are well able. There is a cause worth fighting for. There is a noble thing. There's something worth giving our lives to. And I promise you this, you might not be able to do it for everybody, but you can do it for somebody. There is a cause worth fighting for. And he goes, he goes on to basically say, this is the land that God's given us. And for 45 years, man, he wandered that wilderness, but he had a vision. He had a dream. He knew he was still looking forward. Everybody else was looking back to Egypt, weren't they? I'm talking about kill Moses, pick up some stones. We're going back. Not Caleb. Andy Stanley calls a vision. It's a, it's, it's a beautiful quote that vision is this, is that vision is a mental picture of what could be fueled by the conviction that it should be. That's a good quote. Is that vision, that thing that is compelling your life, the ability to be the hero for someone, it is a mental picture of what could be fueled by the conviction that it should be. I'll close with this. There's this interesting story of Alexander the Great. He is going as, as he was. He was a young, young warrior, and man, he did so much before the age of whatever. I mean, he's such a young general and young warrior. And one time he took his troops, and I believe it was Britain that he was crossing over the channel to go face Britain. And his men were so afraid and so scared. And, 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 and knowing that his men were timid, this is what he does. He gets to the other side of the channel, and he turns and orders the ships to be burned. Then he turns around and begins to address his men. And he says these words. He says, see your crafts going up in smoke. Their ashes floating on the sea. That is our assurance that we will be victorious. For none of us can leave this despicable land unless we are victorious in battle. Because men, when we go home, we are going home on our enemy ships. That's called burning bridges right there, isn't it? That's called saying, we ain't, get, we ain't backing up to Egypt. We're not going back. It's do or die, it's fight for the cause, it's something worth living for, and bless God, it's something worth dying for. It's worth my sacrifice. And we're going to do something great. This is the inspirational hero in Caleb to say, we are well able. There is a cause worth fighting for. There is a promise of God to be seized. And he becomes the inspirational hero for all of us. So the question I have to ask for you this morning is this, is, is there an area of your life where you are looking back? Instead of looking forward. What do you find yourself constantly complaining about? Versus speaking positively about? Maybe the most important question of all is what cause are you fighting for? We're going to, and if you weren't here last week, I'll bring you up to speed. We, we determined as a church that we were going to take on one of these causes. We do these periodically throughout the year, and we pick them up just as the Lord speaks to us and moves on our heart. And, and, and just recently, I felt like the Lord moved on my heart to say, Todd, you need to do this. And it was, it was an opportunity given to us through Charity Water International to basically go and build a well in Rwanda, Africa. Rwanda, Africa, as you'll see in the video in just a second, has one of the most terrible drinking and water problems in all the world. And people are dying and people are sick and it's ruining the economy, it's ruining the culture, all because they don't have pure water. And I just was moved in my heart and we talked to the elders and we, we just prayed and we said, what, God, what would you have us do? And we just were compelled, we can do this. Because you know what, when we think about the water crisis, yeah, I can't change it all for everybody, but bless God, I can do it for one village. And we determined that we were going to build a well in Rwanda, Africa that would provide clean, fresh drinking water for at least a village of 250 people. I want you to check out this video, and we'll come back and talk to you in just a minute. Eighteen years ago, this country was burning. 
Rwanda burned on the news, and it burned its way into the history books. It lasted 100 days, and this place burned to the ground. When it was all over, there was an important decision to make. What do you do in a country where so many were guilty? Only the most absurd options remained. Reconciliation. Grace. Forgiveness. So quietly, with almost nobody watching, the country began to heal. It started small, with new rules that replaced chaos with order. There were fines for littering, fines for talking on cell phones while driving, fines for being shoeless in a public place. And although violations cost up to a month's salary, these rules had a deeper meaning. They helped restore a lost dignity. Proud surroundings made proud citizens. But the country still needed roads, more schools, power lines to connect small towns, and most importantly, the people of Rwanda needed clean water. Rwanda is made of mountains, and hauling water here is backbreaking work. People spend hours fetching water from rivers and streams, walking for miles over steep, narrow paths. And the water they bring home it's not even clean. Every morning, kids are late to school, collecting water they know will make them sick. Determined to make changes, the government called in experts to help. And that's where our local partner came in. Water for People has a vision, and they call it Everyone Forever. It's a simple idea, but to execute it will take incredible determination. Everyone means not leaving a place until the elderly, the sick, the disabled, literally everyone has access to clean water. Forever means the systems are built to last, managed by locals who can maintain them long after we're gone. After three years of planning, complex hydrology reports, and hundreds of meetings, it's time to get to work. To see all of Rwanda get clean water, we need to start somewhere. The government is contributing its own money towards the project, but $1.7 million is still needed. And that's where we come in. Rwanda's come a long way in 18 years, but right now, people here are still walking for dirty water. So this September, we need your help to change that. Because water changes everything. Join us. one well in Rwanda, Africa. And here's what we did last week. We introduced this, this cause, this 
noble theme, and we decided to say, hey, look, church, we're going to do this. I want every person to begin to pray and ask this question, Lord, what would you have me do? What would you have me give towards this noble theme? For some of us, I've heard people say, hey, I'm going to be doing a yard sale. Hey, I'm going to get rid of these things. Hey, I'm going to give up this for a certain amount of time. And other people, it's just as simple as saying, hey, I believe in it. I'm going to write a check. That's all there is to it to me. It's a done deal. And so for you as a church, I want you now this week to pray, God, what would you have me do as an individual? Not as a church. This is an individual thing where we gather together corporately. What can I do? Because the reality is, is that most of us can't build a well by ourselves, but together we can. And most of us, even as a church, we can't save everyone, but we can save one village. We can build one well. And that's where we need to start is by being the hero for somebody. Because here's what I want to happen is I would love to break through heaven's gates someday in the future and to have some little boy or some little girl or some man or some woman walk up to me and say, hey, you have no idea who I am. And I have a name you cannot pronounce, but here's the deal. You and your church, the money that you gave, the prayers that you prayed, you guys built a well so that I can have clean drinking water. And later I went on to be able to go to school and do great things in life. And it all started with one simple act of kindness. You may have not been the hero for everybody, but you were the hero for me. I don't know about you, but I want to hear that when I get on the other side of heaven's gates. I want you to bow your heads with me and pray this morning. Father, as a church, what would you have us do? As an individual, God, what would you have us to do, Lord God? And maybe it would be something sacrificial. Maybe it'd be something that we gave up. Maybe it would be something that we just said, hey, I'm in. I'm on board. But Father, as a church, we pray that we would become the hero. We don't need laser vision or super speed, God. We just need a heart. We just need a heart that will answer the call to great injustice. We would never want our kids to go without clean drinking water. We don't want other kids either. So Father, we pray that you would move on our hearts. God, give us creative ideas. Give us thoughts. God, give us, God, whatever it is. Maybe it's just the amount that we should give. So Father, speak to us over this next week, God. And we pray that next week that we would come together. We'd receive an offering. We'd make a movement to do something great for someone else. That we would do something for someone who cannot do it for themselves and has no ability to repay us anything in return, God. That is our prayer in Jesus' name. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Give the Lord a big hand clap this morning.